Now you listen. I've always wanted to write a fucking Disney song. And it wanted to be fucking beautiful. And you gave it to a fucking meerkat and a fucking pig. Hello and welcome to the Oncast. My name is Dom. As one half of the Oncast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. And we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to discuss our thoughts on the highs and lows of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history before we review the latest entry and find out if it's worth seeing. This week, before the release of the new Disney remake, we're looking back at the animated classic The Lion King, starring James L. Jones, Jeremy Irons and Matthew Broderick. Yes. The Lion King. So, I mean, to start with, I think we, we've both got different contexts for where we saw this, I guess, haven't we? Because we, we, how old were you when it came out? What year was it again? 94. 94. So I was nine. Okay. So it was, was it so peak? So I think I went to the cinema to see it. Yeah. So you were peak, like, target demographic for it then, really, weren't you, I suppose? Yeah. When did Toy Story come out? It was 95? 95, yeah. Jurassic Park was 94. Yeah. Uh, no, Jurassic Park was earlier than that. Mm, yeah, Jurassic Park was 93. I saw an Aladdin... I had a pretty good childhood for film-wise, to yeah. be fair. Like Lion King, Aladdin, Jurassic Park, yeah. <laughs> Toy Story, or seeing all of these things. Um, yeah, it didn't... Like, I loved it, and it was amazing, but I don't think the scale of it struck me until I was older. Yeah. Like, how much of it was... Like this phenomena of cinema that sort of came out of kind of nowhere. Yeah. Like Disney were putting out some big stuff and some really impressive films and stuff, but nothing to this scale. Like no. to this day, people still indicate that The Lion King is probably one of the best Disney films ever made. It is, and it kind of sort of signals the end. I think if you think if you think back to it, it's like after that they never really recaptured the same not with hand drawn animation anyway because it was like no. they came in with that in 94 and then the following year like say toy story came out mm-hmm. and then pick it was just the rise of pixar yeah what like simultaneous with the decline of disney's hand drawn animation exactly um and they they sort of passed each other on the stairs kind of thing um but i like so i was like 3 when it came out <laughs> yeah. so i don't think i would have seen it at the cinema but i've got really vivid memories of like how big it was I would have seen it on VHS. Same with Aladdin. I would have seen that on VHS a lot. Yeah. We probably would have owned it. Um, and it would have been a thing that would just go on a lot in our house. And like, I had a younger brother who was born in 90. Yeah. Um, so he would have done the same thing. Hi, Joe, if you're listening. Um, and yeah, and it was, so it was the massive part of like my childhood was around it. And I just remember all like all the toys and all the, the sort of fanfare around it. And I just, yeah, I remember absolutely, absolutely loving it. Um, and probably didn't appreciate it until now. As you get older and you go back and watch it, you realise just how good like the animation stuff yeah. is. Um, I remember when it, they re-released it, the 3D version. I think for the what would have been the 20th anniversary. Yeah, that was. Uh, so that was 2014. They re-released yeah, I saw it. it then as well. And I remember when I went to go and see it. I was in Cardiff at the time at university. I went down and it was just a queue round the corner at the cinema for just like people like me, like fucking millennial like students who are all just obsessed with going to see The Lion King. And that's the thing, because like I, I think there is like a bit of a a difference there because because like like I said, you know, yeah, we've got a slight different difference in age, but 
having seen it originally in the cinema and then just watching it on home video afterwards and being like, this is amazing. Like, getting the second chance to go and see it at the cinema, I was like, yeah, okay, but I only went with it because the person I was with at the time was obsessed with the film. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's always been, like, this amazing sort of quasi-generational yeah. sort of situation. It's, it's just captured everybody's hearts and minds. Yeah. Which is kind of unheard of, like, because, like, there are things that have come out before and after, like, some really, really big Disney films. Like, I was just looking at it here, like, um, like, Tarzan, Mulan, Hercules, Aladdin, Hunchback, uh, not Aladdin, sorry, Toy Story, Pocahontas, all of these things came out post Lion King, yeah. but none of them ever managed to capture the same... No, there, there are like it's a, it's a reason why only certain ones are getting remade. Like the only, I think the one that probably came closest, I guess, was Mulan. But even that was like in retrospect, that wasn't like at the time Mulan wasn't the biggest thing ever. No, it was only after the fact and when it came out on VHS and everything. And now everyone loves it and it's like the uh, you know people sing the songs and they've got mm-hmm. the whole Eddie Murphy was in it and all the rest of it. But at the time it wasn't, and like stuff like the same with Pocahontas because. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about going back and watching some of like the behind the scenes stuff on Lion King is that it was sort of considered like the B movie. Yeah, it was. And, yeah, definitely. And they they brought it. All the people who did the animation were like the second rate or like the the people who were just up and coming in Disney and weren't like yeah. the A team. They were the B team, and they were like, "Oh no, sorry, we'll do Lion King because you know there aren't there aren't enough jobs going on Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. So all right, fine, we'll do it. Or they'll do it just because they love drawing animals. So they decided to do that. But it wasn't. It was like. It was the gamble, whereas Pocahontas was yeah. like the surefire hit. And then here we are, you and know, 25 years later or whatever, yeah. and it's like no one gives a shit. No, they're not making a remaking a Pocahontas live action movie, are they? No. I mean, that's... <laughs> I think they. Are. I think it's one of the ones they're considering. Maybe. I mean, that would make but, more sense to me because it's got people in it. That's besides the point. But also, <laughs> that's we'll get to that in our controversy section. Um but yeah, it is one of those sort of strange situations, like you say, because something like like Mulan, for example, is being remade. Yeah. But it's not being remade in the same way that The Lion King is. No. It's being remade and it's going to have... The songs are going to be sort of themes. Yeah. Like a theme song in the background rather than... Yeah, it's not going to be musical, I yeah. think is what they've said, which is the interest. Like they, and that... Mushu is going to be a phoenix and not a dragon and... So yeah, that's interesting to me because I mean, at least they're doing something different with it, and it means that like they're not doing exactly what what the fans would want is them to do a musical version and to sing the songs, and and that would be like playing out to the audience and giving the people what they want. And because they're not doing that, that sort of suggests to me that there are they're they're doing something that's got some sort of artistic merit to it, or they're, they're yeah. do you know what I mean they're they're doing something different despite the fact that it's not what people want. Yeah. Which is interesting, but anyway, we'll talk and about that's, that. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a bit. Actually, we'll come. We'll, yeah, we'll come back to that for listeners because we've got some other controversial things to talk about. Yeah, the Lion King. <laughs> it's not as smooth sailing. I mean, there are some backstory stuff to do with the Lion King, which we'll it's talk mad. about later. It really is. But I mean, it's sort of there are influences that make up why the Lion King is the way it is. I think the biggest one that people talk about in terms of the plot is. Hamlet. Hamlet. Yeah. And it is very, very similar to Hamlet in a lot of ways. It's basically, the story is, you have um, a noble king and his young son. So you have Mufasa and Simba. Mufasa is killed by his jealous uncle, by Mm -hmm. his jealous brother, Simba's uncle. 
and who then usurps the throne and then Simba has to then come back and take the throne back from him. He's also visited by his father from beyond the grave. Yeah. So there are, and all of that happens in Hamlet and all of that happens in Lion King. It's like yeah. very, very similar. Um, and it's one of the influences that they do actually say that yes, Hamlet was an influence. Um, because the big sort of selling point of this movie was that it's the first original Disney movie. Yeah. That's what they kept sort of banging on about in all their um, sort of promotional material for it. Is that it's not based because everything up to that point had been based on like a fairy tale or an old myth. Yeah, like your Snow Whites, your Aladdins, your Little Mermaids. Mm-hmm. It was always pre-existing stuff. Yeah, um, but Lion King was wholly original. Sure. <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah, that's the basic plot of it, and they just then take their sort of turns from it from within that. Yeah. really, isn't it? And the, and the thing is, though, it is like. Like some of the themes, what was it? Um, we watched a video about it, didn't we? It was it Bambi and so Hamby or B- Bamblet? Bamblet. They said, yeah, it. it's going to be a little wee bit like Bambi because obviously Bambi was another one they'd done where it was a an a, sort of anthropomorphized am- animals who could talk loses a parent has to become a, and so that's quite yeah. similar as well. Um, but then they threw in this whole Hamlet thing in there. Yeah, so it's it is bizarre, but at the same time. It really fucking works because it is genuinely one of the best films. Yeah, it's because it's classic hero's journey. Yeah, it's classic because obviously it doesn't like although it follows that template of Hamlet, it doesn't obviously follow it to the point of the end. No, because not everyone dies because <laughs> um, that would be a very different Disney movie. Um, so it's kind of it takes that and it sort of cleans it up a little bit and sort of makes it go right rather than you know, can you imagine if they actually did Hamlet. <laughs> it would be not, not Nala goes nuts and kills herself by, dr- by, dr- by drowning herself. Drowning herself. Um, so much poison. Where are the lions going to get poison from? Yeah, Scar gets off with Simba's mother. Although that was a deleted scene. Really? Yeah, they actually like to a point where they even had Jeremy Irons like record the lines for it. And you can find it. There was a point where well, he like tries to seduce her and say like a king without a he hasn't got a. Um, heir to the throne yeah was it Sarabi Sarabi yeah that's it and so that was going to actually going to be a whole plot point which would have made it even more like Hamlet but they decided to cut that because they realised how bloody creepy and weird it was yeah um, so well done um, people have also sort of pointed to stuff like uh, Timon and Pumbaa are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern yeah which is kind of a little bit true I guess yeah, yeah that's fair enough yeah and it does make sense um, but it's there if you want to read into it, but it doesn't, like I say, I, I don't think it, it doesn't lessen the movie. No. Way. I mean, it's, it, with something like that, it absolutely wears the influences on its sleeve. Yeah. Because they're not shying away from the fact, like with the Hamlet stuff, they're not shying away from it in no. any way, shape or form. No. Because it's too obvious not to. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's, the, the, like you say, the similarities are so clear the writing's on the wall really yeah so yeah i mean i guess so that's that's the basic story structure and then within that you have the archetypal characters so you have the noble king who is mufasa played by james l jones yes who is phenomenal like just his voice and his just and the way they animate it and all the rest of it is just an amazing character brought to life um and like yeah his his voice must be one of the most iconic voices in cinema history isn't it between this and darth vader uh yeah well it's, it's that's the joke they do in the simpsons isn't it yeah, yeah they do mufasa darth vader and the voice of fox yeah this is, no, it's cnn it will... oh that's it yeah 
This is CNN. <laughs> you must have ended my death, Kimba. I mean, Simba. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, looking, going through the cast, I mean, IMDb has put it in a weird order. So, like, Rowan Atkinson is Zazu. Great. Matthew Broderick is adult Simba. Mm. Jim Cummings is Ed, one of the hyenas. Whoopi Goldberg is Shenzi, the other one of the hyenas. Um, Robert Guillem is Rafiki. Jeremy Irons is Scar. James L. Jones, Mufasa. Moira Kelly is Nala. Nathan Lane is Timon. Um, yeah, Cheech Marin is Banzai. Ernie Sabella is Pumba. Majin Kalera is Sarabi. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is young Simba. It's, yeah, like, I mean, there are a few, like, absolutely clear, outstanding people in there, yeah. like Jeremy Irons, James L. Jones, Whoopi Goldberg, um, like, Nathan Lane, Cheech Marin, and, like, Matthew Broderick. Yeah. It's just this mad cast. Yeah, I mean, like, Jeremy Irons is, like, perfect as, like, a, as a villain, as a Disney yeah. villain. He's got to be up there as one of the best Disney villains ever. Mm. Scott, it's just the way he just... The way the combination of his voice and the way they animate him is just perfect and spot on, and it's this these this conniving sort of evil like classic British bad guy yeah. kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And that's one of the things that I was saying. Like you go saying about like the way that he's animated, it goes to show to the level of sort of detail and attention that they did sort of behind the scenes. Yeah, because you can look and they're like they built Scar's face the design of Scar around Jeremy Irons' facial expressions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the same with, like, James L. Jones, like, the way that he was holding himself and the way that he would speak and the way that he would say things. And Oh, it's mad. Yeah, I think they said, like, the animator who worked on the adult Simba said he was really struggling to get the face right. And and then they cast Matthew Roderick. Yeah. And then he, like, added that into the design and suddenly it all made sense. And it's like, I like that that they're able... one of the things I will say about, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, is that the thing that concerns me about the new one is that they can't add that much of expression into the animals' faces. Mm-hmm. They can't draw an animal's face to look like Matthew Broderick. No. Because it has to look like a photo real line. Yeah. But anyway, that's besides the point. Uh, but like this, yeah, that's the thing that struck me about what it, watching it this time is that there's so much expression drawn into those faces. Mm-hmm. And like you can see when like Simba's scared, or like like the the amazing the sequence that everyone always talks about, which was like innovative at the time, was the the um, stampede sequence, yeah. which is fucking amazing to look at. I remember that being like the reason why I wanted to go back and watch it in three D. Yeah, I was like, I need to see that in three D. That's gonna be amazing. Um, but yeah, that sequence where it does the pull focus down on Simba's face. Yeah, and it's little things like that in the animation that just blow your mind. Like the opening sequence with. Um, Circle of Life. Yeah. It's just amazing animation to look at. Yeah. I forget, this this film has a cold open. Yeah. It literally just starts with... And no one's... There are no lines. It's all just with the music and then you you figure out who everyone is based on what's happening. And it's the the presentation of Simba and it's that classic, everyone's seen it. Rafiki the monkey holds up Simba and then... A A pride rock and... A pride rock. Then light comes through the... But it's like procession of all the animals going there yeah and what i love in that sequence is like you see all the different types of animation and sort of elements of it that they're gonna then use later on so they they can you can see they're using stuff like 
3D stuff where they're like replicating loads of different mm-hmm. zebras and they're they can do that using like cutting edge technology. But then they're doing stuff like when all the animals are going past Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. And it's clearly just a back matte painting with yeah. some moving things. It's like and that is the most basic animation you can possibly think of. Isn't that a still background with a simple with and like there's that and they combine all these different techniques yeah. to create this amazing sequence. And like that bit again, thinking about those um zebras where there's the bit where there's all the ants going along a branch and then it pulls focus and then you're looking at the zebras behind it yeah it switches focus like how do you do that in animation i don't even know how you do that (laughs) oh well that this is a whole different thing we can get into like so this is one of the one of the reasons i get a bit sort of nerdy about some of the animation that disney does is that they will have these cells that they've produced that they will run because obviously you have to produce a cell and then either take an image or run it in front of a camera. Yeah. But what they have, they used to, well, they don't anymore because it's primarily digital, but they used to have this amazing machine that was like, so they would do it rather than on like cell acetate, they would do it on glass. Right. And then they would have glass, space, glass, space, glass, space, glass, space. And it, this amazing depth of field that they got so that they could literally focus the camera on one thing. And like you say, you pull focus and it just pull, works its way up all these different line, levels of glass. It's mad. But at it? the same time, they've, they've got all... And that would be amazing enough on its own. But what they also had was to have a parallax effect, which is that because that's how things work, something that's further away appears to move slower than something that's closer. So when, when that shifts, it's all that whole rig has got to move on its own parallax effect at the same time. So it's the scale of something up the front being bigger to focus on something being smaller. Oh, it's, it's fucking ingenious. I, you've got to look it up. Like yeah. Anyone who's listening that has any interest in animation, look at the way that they used to do stuff like... Um, like there's a on Imager somewhere, there's a good example of how they did it in the Fox and Hounds when they yeah. like filmed from like the outskirts of a wood and then they zoomed in and everything sort of dropped out of focus and the camera moved through it yeah. all as well. It's incredible. It, it's mad. And then what I, what I love is they they combine all those sort of innovative things to bring stuff to the characters and so, and certain moments like pay off the way they do. Yeah. Like, you know, the sequence where, uh, you know, Mufasa's death, when he has that dawning realisation about what Scar's about to do and it zooms in on his eyes mm. and then like the background sort of fades to black a little bit. And it's just like this amazing, like evocative filmmaking thing that is straight out of like a Spielberg or yeah. something, but they're doing it with drawings. And that's the <laughs> thing. Like it's really Hitchcockian style. Yeah. Um, like you say, with the, like the pool focuses and the sort of the, the dolly rolls and all the way that these things work sort of takes me back to like, and I didn't sort of, this wasn't something that I'd prepare beforehand, but is the Lion King the best example of like a hand-drawn animated film from like a Western cinema perspective? It might be. I think, I, honestly, I think it might be because I've, I can't think of it like similar things like that in terms of the later mm. ones they do. So stuff like Mulan, like... Like Mulan is pretty close, but Mulan used a lot of... CG. Mulan used a lot of teachings from Lion King. Yeah. So that's that's kind of why that one drops off a bit. Like when sort of the Huns are all coming yeah. over the mountainside is almost sort of shot for shot with the wildebeest with the stampede sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. But 
It's fucking blows my mind. And it's, it's one of those things, like you said, it just, it all came together so that there was that amazing commitment to animation and character animation. Yeah. That they, they poured so much character into each one of these and then that was then lifted by the voice cast. Yeah. Or, or vice versa, like we said, like they would base the, the drawings of the characters on the on the actors. Um, but yeah, it's just like Mufasa and Scar are the biggest ones for me. They're just, they're the best. Like, there's so many like quotable lines. There's so many. He's got the most commanding voice, and they set up the relationship between him and Simba perfectly. Yeah, talking about Mufasa, sorry. Um, and then yeah, and Scar, they just nail it. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, and uh, it's like one of the things that I want to say about the animation and the cast again is that there's the point when Mufasa explains to Simba about all the stars. Yes. Yeah. And he says that these are all sort of former kings that are looking down on you and giving you guidance. As I was growing up, like every time I watched this film as an adult, I always thought it was a literal like cloud of the ghost of his dad appearing yeah. rather than sort of a thought sort of form of it, if you know yeah, what I mean. Okay. So I always thought it was a little bit more literal than what it actually is in the film. Yeah. And like watching it again the other day, I'm like, this is so much better than I remember. Like everything about the film is just better than I remember. And yeah. every time I go back, I'm like, yeah, Lion King's great. And then I'll go back and be like, actually Lion King's a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean like that, that sequence again, like in terms of the, there was some digital stuff going on in that mm. as well, wasn't there? And it just, it looked incredible. That sequence where Mufasa comes back to him, and whether it's like you can interpret it as being a literal thing that happens, mm-hmm. or something a thought that occurs in Simba, I think that's you know that's debatable, definitely. Yeah. But as far as the kids are concerned, his dad came back to him yeah. in the clouds. Do you exactly. Know what I mean? like, um, Sky Ghost Cloud Dad. Yeah, and tells him to stop being a hippie and <laughs> go back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, stop going out and getting stoned with all your mates in the woods because <laughs> basically that's what step I, up. that's what happens in this movie essentially so what happened you know the plot is Simba is the prince who's going to be the king Scar tricks him and kills his dad in a stampede and with the intention of killing Simba as well Simba instead runs away and is banished mm-hmm. for a good portion of time and I don't they never really get into what kind of length of time it's been to be I guess like 10 years because he grows up we see him grow up with Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, I mean, the the growth cycle for... Because lions, I think I don't think they actually... I think the maturity cycle is only a few years. So it's not actually... I always thought it was way, way longer than... Um, yeah, but then basically, so he goes off and he just... He, yeah, lions only live... There you go, lifespan of a lion, 10 to 14 years. Yeah, they go. Um, yeah, so it would probably be... Well, if, if you say that he was, what, two or three yeah. during the early parts of the film and then, so what, four or five years? Yeah. Um, but yeah, during that time, he just hangs out with Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah. Supposedly sings Hakuna Matata for like four or five years, non-stop. Yep. Um, that's what we're led to believe. Well, that's what eating all those hallucinogenic insects would do to it. <laughs> Love, yeah, like, we watched something earlier. It was like, oh, he turns into a um, vegetarian. I'm like, no, he doesn't. That witch to grow is alive. Like he's done that's a living thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, and then you get Timon and Pumba, which are great again, classic like animal side characters yeah. kind of thing. And done really, really well by is Nathan Lane and what's the other oh, guy? Ernie um Sabella. Ernie Speller, yeah. 
um and they're great and they they add so much to it and like again watching the back and forth the um behind the scenes stuff they originally came in to audition for the um hyenas hyenas yeah, yeah. The, and then they just, they sort of met each other out in the corridor and started doing the thing and they were like oh you guys should come in and do Timon and Pumba and they did and it was absolute like gold um and so much of it like came out of like improvisation like one of the funniest points of the whole movie is the bit where he like he goes we need you to cause a distraction. What, what do you want me to do? Dress and drag and do the hula? And then that was just like, that was just an a ad lib from um, Nathan, Lane. Nathan Lane. And they went, yes, that's exactly what you want you to do. And they have this whole sequence where he's wearing a, like a grass skirt and doing a song. Are <laughs> oh, you aching for some bacon? Oh, I used to know that song by heart. I can't remember it now. <laughs> Um, which is yeah amazing and then like again like you get even these other little characters so you obviously have Zazu by Rowan Atkinson who is like just perfect Rowan Atkinson just this sort of British like and that's the thing stuck up like yeah is the Blackadder the fact that he's almost playing Blackadder basically yeah (laughs) like slightly less of a prick yeah (laughs) but still enough that you're like oh fuck that bird (laughs) fuck that bird um, and then he obviously, then the um, the hyenas. You get Whoopi Goldberg, yeah, and it was the other guy Cheech, Cheech Marin, yeah, as a Cheech from Cheech and Chong, yeah, um, and they're great. And I mean, yeah, <sighs> but they're, they're great as foils because they're sort of like they're comic relief, but at the same time, like they can turn, yeah. immediately. And like, there are a couple of points that they turn, and you're like. Actually, these guys are really scary yeah. like, and quite threatening. And a lot of it, I think, yeah, I don't think we should necessarily get onto it yet, but the music makes a big difference. Yeah. Like, they sometimes they can switch. Like, by switching up the score, it changes the context of the scene mm-hmm. and it makes it that much more scary. And that combined with the way they're animated. So when when they're chasing Simba through, like, the thorns and it's, like, it's between the way that it's animated and the, the everything gets darker in terms of the yeah. score and more dramatic suddenly their threat whereas before they were like like say the comic the comic relief and the foil or whatever or they're not a threat when they're around scar because they know scar could probably well and that's the thing is that they are like it's the whole pack mentality yeah but at the same time there are points when you go like um ed for example the, yeah. the third the one yeah. that only communicates by laughter um i think that's frank welker really Who's yeah? Who's literally one of the most prolific voice actors ever? Um, oh no, it's Jim Cummings. Okay, who uh, pretty much is Frank Welker's? I would say arguably maybe a superior, but does um, Pooh? Okay, so he's the new Pooh. <clears throat> but. Um, but yeah, the way that they can change those yeah. between it, like Ed at the start of the film is just a laughing, yeah. eye wobbly idiot. Yeah. But his last appearance, the last thing that he does in that film is actually quite unsettling. Yeah, because they, they basically again, we're spoiling this, but it's if Lion you King. haven't seen, who the hasn't Lion seen the Lion King? King. Um, so yeah, there's yeah. the sequence where they made, they turn on Scar. Yeah, because Scar tries to like sell them out because he's a weaselly little shit. Um, and then they go, yeah. And so they do that whole, oh, I, I thought we were just a bunch of assholes. Yeah. Ed. <laughs> and they start like coming in towards Scar. And again, like they just do the animation fucking smashes it. They just do that bit where it's Scar's is 
shadow on the wall. And so you don't see him get ripped apart. No. By, because that would be a bit much for a kid's film. But it's implied that he gets ripped apart by a pack of ravenous oh, hyenas. Is, yeah. But they just they imply that by just projecting this shadow on the on the wall. That's so good. So clever. I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. Can we talk about one little Easter egg for Go a on. bit? Yeah. Because Hercules, which came out ninety eight, I think. Yeah, something like that. Or some or later on. Um had Hercules you actually one of the trials of Hercules is to kill the Nemean lion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And Scar is the 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 skin of the lion that he skin, brings back. Yeah, so the skin of the lion laying on the floor is like clearly Scar. Yeah, it's clearly Scar because he's like he's quite distinct in his like. He's got black mane, darker fur. Yeah, he's he's he looks completely different from all the other lions, mm-hmm. um, and he is darker and and blacker. And that that there has been some sort of. People read people read a lot into the Lion King, but one of the things that people talk about is race. Yeah, and that's a whole another sort of thing. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, particularly like because with... I appreciate that there are probably only two two black minority characters in. Yeah, and given the fact that it's a, it's a movie set in Africa, yeah, the fact that the vast majority of the cast are white. Yeah. Is a bit like the, with the one, the major exception obviously being James L. Jones's Mufasa. Yeah, so James L. Jones, Sarabi, Shenzi, uh, young Nala, and Rafiki, yeah, um, are all African American. Yeah, but I mean, the conclusion that we're left with is that Matthew Broderick is the king of the jungle, yeah, which is weird because I think, well, Matthew Broderick is the whitest white man who's ever been white, like, yeah. you know what I mean? he's like. <laughs> Um, but then that people have sort of said that like you can read into things like the hyenas representing like black and Hispanic peoples and they're like they're in the dark mm-hmm. part. We don't want them in our country yeah. sort of thing. And then the whole country goes to shit the minute that Scar lets them all in right. and shares the wealth of Pride Rock. Because like, like if you were to read into it as an analogy, Pride Rock and the Pride Lands are the United States mm-hmm. and it's abundant and everything's great and green and all the rest of it. Scar then lets all the Hispanic and black people in who yeah. are the hyenas and suddenly the whole thing goes to shit. And it's oh, okay. only, only through restoring the natural order yeah. by having Simba come back is everything back to yeah. being as it should be again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I sort of had like, a little bit more of a sort of, um, because that, that's honestly the first time that I've sort of heard of it in that way. Mm. I always thought it was sort of a little bit reflective, like authoritarianism. Yeah. So when you get somebody that, like a master manipulator, that has enough to sort of wrap people around and sort of manipulate people into a certain way where they will believe that sort of. Well, like a populist, a populist leader, for example, and I'm not going to get too much into politics here, but when you get a populist leader, somebody that is saying all the right things to people that feel that they're being underrepresented, then you get these big swing votes and you get landslide elections. And then all of a sudden, that thing that they were talking about didn't work. And that person still sat at the top, just reaping the benefits, sort of sweeping all the cream off the top for themselves, whilst everything else falls to pieces. Yeah, And it's... I always thought about it in that sort of way with sort of like an authoritarianism or sort of to a sort of thinner, more drawn out extent, sort of capitalism and communism and sort of mm. the monarchistic power in relation to sort of a democratic power and yeah, sort of 
Yeah, like yeah, you say, then, like, like thing, a, a monarchy versus like a military presence as well. Yeah, but then like I don't know if like so if we're comparing like Scar and Mufasa, like neither one of them is the democratically elected leader. They're no, just, do you know what I mean? They're they're no, but if you look at like Scar, is the one that has the more. He's the populist. Well, yeah, like yeah. he has the democratic part behind it because he's he's rallied all these people behind him. Mm. So in sort of this authoritarian way, he's managed to sort of be this sort of firebrand demagogue who's sort of rallied yeah. all the all of the lower class or lower caste of people up. Yeah. To take over this monarchy. Yeah. Who's only oh who's only there because of birthright. I mean, and there's even like there's lots of like analogies and stuff within the, like particularly in Scar's song. Mm. There's a point where they're all like goose stepping in front of him, and it's, yeah. very, it's very much like Nuremberg. Yeah, and it's not like the, the, it's not subtle. No, <laughs> even to the point. And then a lot of people read into the fact that at the end of that song, he's left like on a plinth behind a, in front of a crescent moon, and everyone's like, well, "What does the crescent moon stand for? Is that Islam, or mm. is it, or is it the hammer and sickle?" Yeah, or do you know what I mean? People read a lot of stuff into it, and I'm like, there's sometimes some of it is interesting to talk about, and some of it I feel like people are just really stretching it and looking for yeah. stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it is I think it's interesting to talk about, like like we've just done. But I think when people start to lean too heavily into it, it's when you start to get a bit. You're like, shut up! It's the liking. Yeah, but at the same time, you're like, you can see that somebody might have put in a message to, that would resonate in a certain way to some people. Yeah. Like you say, because I never thought of sort of the ethnic side of things with mm. him, but I suppose that comes from white privilege, really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, that, and it's interesting that again, when you compare it now to the the remake, yeah, like if they were to try, if they were to do this remake now and do the same thing and cast a lot of white actors to voice these characters, mm-hmm. there would be uproar. Like yeah. people would not stand for it. But so now, like the entire cast of this new Lion King almost is made up of black actors. It's Donald Glover, it's, you know, Beyonce, it's uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yeah. Everyone's, you know, has African Alfred Woodward. Yeah. Um, J.D. McCrary, Shahadi Wright-Joseph from Us, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, Eric Andre, Florence Kasumba. I think now it's the, the opposite in terms of, in the original, there was only two, like, major black actors in the whole thing now it's the other way around there, is, there are only two major white actors in the whole thing which is John Oliver and Seth Rogen and Billy Eichner uh, Billy Eichner yeah but um, but yeah it's yeah like Phil Lamar is in this Beyonce Donald Glover Chance the Rapper yeah this is an amazing amazing cast oh, I'm really excited I like, genuinely am really excited okay um, I mean, I think the other thing that we, we need to talk about before we move on to the controversy and stuff is the music and the score. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is a combination of, like, several geniuses, basically. Working on this. And so not only do you have, obviously, Elton John and Tim Rice yeah. worked on the songs. Tim Rice wrote all the lyrics and Elton John came in as the songwriters to write all the melodies. And from that, we ended up with Can You Feel the Love Tonight, The yeah. Circle of Life, I just can't wait to be king yeah. and be prepared. Yeah. Which are every single one of them, and the Hakuna Matata. <laughs> like so, each one of them is a fucking banger. Like it's a massive like. Um, so yeah, and they are all amazing songs. But I think what elevates them even further, particularly with the, you know a couple of them, Circle of Life in particular, is the fact that it was composed and arranged by Hans Zimmer. Yeah. Who's, fucking Zimmo. 
I didn't realize until what we're going back and watching this now, like going yeah. through all the stuff. I was like, Hans Zimmer did, and I didn't. So he not only does he does do the sort of composition on like Circle of Life, and so it was his idea to get in the like, the African chorus, and he worked with a guy called uh, Lebo M, who's the yeah. guy who does the the the, the uh, opening vocal at the very beginning. Yeah, which we, I won't replicate, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So it was his idea to add all that in. He was the one who composed it and came up with you know the way it sounded. But then he also did all the score, like the incidental music in between, and it's amazing. It's so good. Like it is, it is absolutely brilliant. Because, um, yeah, one of the things that when you hear like you get that choir and you get yeah. those choruses, and it's so, I don't know, it it it, it all feels a lot more natural it all feels really yeah. organic it all feels really yeah like sort of respectful rather than something like you get in like aladdin that feels a little yeah. bit yeah and i feel like with this is like like you say it always feels organic to what's happening on screen like it's one of the best marrying of score and what's happening on screen yeah. i think like when you were talking earlier about the scene where um Mufasa tells Simba about look at the stars yeah the minute I think of that scene, I'm thinking of the score in the background. Look at the stars. And then like in the background, the music cue yeah. comes in perfectly. And it's like this, it all blends in together and you can't, you couldn't have that scene without the music, no. but you couldn't have the music without the scene. It all yeah. just fits like spot on. Um, and yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, I mean, yeah, they, they didn't originally have Elton John. They were going to have someone else. I think at one point they talked to ABBA. Okay. Which would have been fucking, fucking hell. weird. Um, they eventually convinced Elton John to do it. Um, and one of the things that I um, saw about was that originally they did Can You Feel the Love Tonight? Mm -hmm. They had it as a song sung by Timon and Pumbaa to one another. Really? Yeah. And they showed it at a test screening. It makes sense because it's the way that you... Get the in. way that the song starts and finishes. Yeah, that's what they did. So, But they had the, the whole thing be sung by them. Yeah. And they did that at a test screening, and Elton John was there. Yeah. And he was absolutely gutted. He said, I feel you've ruined the film. And then he like, rang up the Disney executives the next day and like, gave this like, impassioned speech about how he, he loved Disney movies. He always wanted to write a classic Disney love song. And now they've like butchered it by giving it to the fucking the war comic relief. The warthog and the, and, and the meerkat. And, and, the meerkat. and so, how dare And then obviously he was right, and it ended up being yeah. what it was. Um, <laughs> jeez but I can just imagine just the I love to have seen the Elton John tantrum about, about, the, about the Lion King because he's like famous for, for kicking off yeah <laughs> another coke, coke fueled rampage yeah mid 90s like he's just peak Elton John <laughs> like, <laughs> oh brilliant oh um, Elton yeah please change <laughs> Um, but yeah, uh, it's it is like this amazing, like everything sort of fits. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. It was like the per it's one of those, um, like lighting in a bottle moments, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like it was. It came out at the exact right time where Disney like they had the pull to get some big actors in, like they did because they mm -hmm. just come off of Aladdin, which elevated everything. They had the right animators doing it for the right reasons, who were all very passionate about it. Yeah, they had the right, the songwriters came in to do it at the right time. They had the right composer, had the right directors, and it all just came together at the exact perfect moment in time. Yeah, and created this thing. 
yeah, it's it, there's a reason why we're still talking about it today. Mm-hmm. I mean, not so much with some of the other ones. Like no one's like I say no one's talking about Pocahontas, no one's talking about Notre Dame. Yeah, but people are still talking about Lion King. And that's the thing. That's not to say that they don't have their place. Like I watched Pocahontas recently. Yeah, and like some of the songs in it are amazing. Yeah, so like the storyline's a little bit strange. Yeah, but at the same time, it is following what is pretty much well. Some of the stuff that happens in it is a true story, mm. but um, but yeah, it's not gonna capture the same effect that something that Lion King is. No, um, I think well, part of it, I mean, yeah, because they, in a way, although you can politicize it and you can read stuff into it because it is animals and because it is this archetypal mm-hmm. hero's journey, you know, that we've seen countless times before in things like Star Wars and Harry Potter and all the rest of it it can translate to everybody and it appeals to yeah. everybody. And that's why yeah. it like, it can be translated into however many different languages and everyone can read into it. Like, but also it does sort of break down barriers as well yeah. because it is animals yeah, rather exactly. than people. Yeah. So you can, anyone can project onto it. Anyone mm-hmm. can say, right, that's, I identify with that. And it like, there's so many things that are just universal, like the losing of a parent, Yeah, which a lot of the, you know the, the producers and the bit like Hans Zimmer talked. He said, "I lost my dad at a young age," and Lion King was the movie where I dealt with it in my yeah. music and stuff like that. So, and that is all in there, and that's a universal thing. It doesn't matter where you're from. Whereas with something like Pocahontas, because of the story that it is, there is a lot of political undertones and sort of and things in there that you can't. It's on the surface; you can't escape it. Yeah, it's about colonialism and like, you know what I mean, and like, yeah. So. Lion King steps away from all that by being what it is. And that's part of the reason why it's endured to this day, I think, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And it is like, like you say, it is sort of a touch point for like a certain zeitgeist. Yeah. It is like anyone that was a child from 1980 onwards, the whole of sort of the millennial gen, gen, yeah, probably sort of millennial generation onwards, Mm. Gen Zs are all going to be like, here's the Lion King. But then, yeah, the, we are going to get sort of a different change, which is one of the things that I think about, we'll probably get into in a minute, about the remake. But at the same time, it's, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, probably one of the greatest animated films of all time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, before we get into what we're thinking about the remake, yeah, I think that there is, there's one sort of element of The Lion King that is worth talking about, and that is... There's some con- controversy around it in terms of whether Disney ripped it off. Yeah, basically, in, in to put it bluntly, um, because essentially there was a Japanese animation called um, Kimba the White Lion, mm-hmm. um, and it was made by um, oh, what was the guy's name? Tezuka. Yeah, Osmaru Tezuka, and he was essentially like he was Japan's Walt Disney. Yeah. For a lot of, in a lot of intense purposes. And he created uh, the most sort of famous creation of his was Astro Boy, mm-hmm. um, which people have probably seen cartoons of or, or whatever. They actually made a feature movie of that in 2009, I think. Um, yeah, so it was there, good. yeah, there was that. And then but he, what he also created was Kimba the White Lion, which was like a manga comic, which then got turned into a cartoon series um, about a young lion in the jungle <laughs> with a who's parents are killed and then he has to raise up and who yeah his father was the king of the jungle his father then gets killed and replaced by an evil lion called claw 
<laughs> um, and then he has to raise up and retake the throne. And there's lots and lots of similarities between yeah. it and um, the Lion King. And it was animated and came out way before the Lion King. Yeah, it was something in the 60s. It was like in the, in the 60s, in the 50s. Yeah, and so 60s. the book was written in the 50s or yeah. 60s, wasn't it? And then the, the animation came out in the sort of late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, so the TV show, the, yeah, um, Kimber the White Lion. Um, ran from 1965 to 1967. Yeah. So way, way before The Lion King. Um, but it was massively popular in Japan. And it was like, there was merch everywhere. There was like, it was, you couldn't escape it. It was there absolutely everywhere. And so much so that it actually then translated over to America. Yeah. So not only did they pick up Astro Boy, and that became a, a running cartoon on American TV, Kimber the White Lion also did as well. Yeah. And to a point where, yeah, they changed, because originally in Japan it's called Leo the Lion, and they had to change that to Kimber the White Lion because Leo is the name of the MGM lion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was a long running thing. And there are lots of things where, like, if you go on YouTube and type in Lion King versus um, Kimber, yeah. you'll see side by side comparisons where there are literal shots and scenarios that play out almost exactly the same as they yeah. do in The Lion King. Um, like you know, there's a lion on a on a cliff edge with an evil lion with an e- with the scar character called Claw, who looks remarkably similar. <laughs> it's got scar. darker fur. It's and got a black dark, mane, and even the he's the same eye. It's got yeah. a scar over it. It's his left eye. It's got, um, and yeah, and he's got like the the king pinned over this precipice and is about to throw him, and that looked like shot by shot exactly the same. There's some of the, like the animals flocking, like there's the flock of flamingos all flying in, and that looks exactly the same. Yeah. There's scenarios where there's a stampede and someone's hanging onto a branch, and that looks exactly the same. And it's like, but it's not only that, but it's like there's a stampede whilst the lion cub is hanging onto the branch, and the bird is hovering and giving advice. Yeah. And I, although I don't think it's the lion in the Kimber one. I think it's a deer who's hanging on, not the, not the lion cub. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's a character. It's not. Oh, uh, okay. It's another. It's one of his friends. He has in the, in the Kimber one. There's a lot. It's like he has a team of woodland critters, mm. sort of thing. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and there are lots of things in there to a point where even little things like his father or his mother appear to him in the sky and give him advice. Yeah, and that's straight in from the Lion King. And basically, when it came, when the Lion King first came out, Disney were accused of a lot of these things. People were like there's a lot of similarities between this and this Japanese series. Like, what the hell? And Disney are basically have categorically denied. Like, no, you know, no matter what, that no, this is not it. It's a completely original story, and we don't know what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> and, but, like, they also haven't addressed a lot of the things, because, like, they came out and denied it, and then people went back with, like, more evidence, and they've just never said anything no. since. But the, the one thing they did do, though, was because... So basically what happened was as well was that not only there was the animated series in the 60s, but then mm. about in 89, um, this guy, Dezuka, the main you know guy, actually passed away. Yeah. But around the same time, they actually put into production the in Japan a adaptation of like the later half of the of the manga. And it was okay. going to be called uh, Jungle King or Jungle Emperor Leo or something. Yeah. And it was like the back half of it where he becomes a grown-up and becomes the king. And they... Um, and yeah, they put it into production in 89. It didn't come out until 97. 
or when it came out in 97, Disney slapped them with a um, cease and desist order. Really? Because they said it's too similar to The Lion King. They were like, but we started production at the same time, and it's based on a comic that was written 30 years ago. And they're like, doesn't matter. Cease and desist. And so to this day, I think that only ever got one screening in America. Yeah. That version of it. And it's, I think it's just like, in translation, it's called King of the Jungle or something. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then there's loads, there's mountains of evidence. Like one of the directors on The Lion King spent time in Japan yeah. for a couple of years overseeing some animation stuff over there because the two studios were aware of one another. And yeah, I mean, Disney and that guy, sorry, I've forgotten his name. Tezuka. Uh, Tezuka met a couple of times, yeah. didn't they? Because he, Tezuka was a big fan of Disney. Yeah, it was his hero. And like he, he like when they did... Um, one of his inspirations for creating um, Kimber in the first place was Bambi. Yeah. And he says that. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't try and pretend that he's never seen Bambi before and then do it anyway. No. But in that, and that's the thing. Like, I mean, there is a part of me that wants to believe, just for the, for the preservation of how good The Lion King is, there is a part of me that wants to believe that it is, like, um, the sort of the parallel thought phenomena is that two people on different sides of the planet can have the same thought at the same time yeah and work along that line i guess so and it's like um because i mean it's not so similar as like music for example because when like some of the things that have come out recently with like the marvin gay estate and like pharrell williams Mm. and a lot and like sam smith and tom petty and stuff like that a lot of these songs are like there's a reason that melody works is because there's only, there's like a limited number of notes yeah. and chords and progressive systems that can be in place to make something sound, um, sort of nice to hear. Yeah. But with film and with something like this, that's a bigger stretch. Yeah. I think to me, it's like, because there's stuff like there's the imagery of like pride rock, yeah. for example, it's the imagery that gets me. I think, cause the, when you look at the two stories and again, there are, YouTube videos and stuff that go into this in a lot more depth. Mm. The stories don't really parallel that well. Like, there's, no. there's lots of other stuff going on in the Kimber one. Like, there's a whole thing about him trying to make everyone to vegetarians. Yeah. There's a whole thing about uh, their relationship with man. Yeah. There's loads of different, like, nuances to the story that aren't in The Lion King. And I think, from a narrative point of view, they only share very, very basic story beats. Yeah. And they're not really that similar. But in terms of the visuals, yeah. that's the stuff where it's like, that's more or less dead on. Yeah. Like that's so similar. And like you say, I think it might be one of those things where, you know, the, the animators or the director or whoever maybe saw it and doesn't remember seeing it. Or Mm -hmm. it's one of those subliminal things where you just, you start projecting into your own work and before you know it. Yeah. That's it. I think the thing that is up, is up, you know, a shame is that they can't admit that. I wish they'd just been able to admit that we, yeah, we were inspired by, there's nothing wrong with taking inspiration from something else. Well, they they already admitted it with both Bambi and Hamlet. Yeah, they said Hamlet, so I don't know why they couldn't have just said, "Oh yeah, we took we took inspiration from this." Because mm-hmm. I feel like maybe they think that that was like diminishing their because a lot of there was so much made out of a uh, first original story from Disney Studios. Yeah, takes you to Africa and all the rest of it, and like they kept like promoting yeah. it and all the rest of it on that basis, and they sort of wrote themselves into a corner. So to then turn around and just then say, "Oh yeah, we took inspiration from this other thing." Mm-hmm would kind of ruin all that yeah and that's that is the, the it is tough because as much as you do sort of want to preserve the sheen and shine of the lion king people you know you do forget sometimes that uncle disney isn't uncle disney yeah uncle disney is 
a great big global mega corporation yeah who will probably shut us down because I've just said that yeah you know like someone at the door is probably the lawyers yeah no, but then now there's just... a reason there's so many jokes in popular culture about not mentioning a certain thing in a certain way because the Disney lawyers will turn up. Yeah, but I think now they just send stormtroopers. Yeah, well that'd be that'd be more fun than it'd, it'd be just being litigated out of everything that you own. They know it's stormtroopers, but with little di- with the Mickey Mouse ears. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, that's it's... the that's the thing with it. Like, it's a shame that they. I never quite ironed that out, and I feel like now that they're doing this remake, they're going to cement it even more as that no, this is a Disney thing. Yeah. I think between that and obviously the other element of it that we haven't talked about is the um, stage show. Yeah. So it's been at the West End and on Broadway for like twenty years now, almost something like that. Yeah. It's been there for forever, um, and I've seen it. I, well, I, I, I went when I was a kid. I went yeah. with my grandparents, and I have a really vivid memory of it. But I remember like this is you know they uh, the opening of the show how they have all these amazing like creations these animals that they've done have you seen any of the footage from it it is amazing it is like it's they... one of those things that i've always sort of put off because i've always wanted to see it oh you should so, do it like where it's not no i've put off looking into it because oh, i'm right. like i don't want to see anything beforehand oh, okay yeah but like it, they're all these like amazing like i don't know how to even describe them like these creations of animals that, that they have on stage but yeah. what they do during the opening sequence is they they have them come down the aisles of the oh, audience. Amazing. So like you like that everything's coming together for the circle of life sequence, but rather than just like all the animals coming in from the sides of the stage, they're also coming from the from the gantries as well. Oh amazing. So I remember just being there, like my nan or my granddad or whoever I was sat next to, just put look and you look around there and you're like a you know, kid and there's a giant elephant <laughs> with like obviously there's people inside yeah. it moving it like a puppet, but you can't tell that. And like they've got birds on sticks that are flying over your head. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, you should definitely go and see it. It's, yeah. um, but that's another sort of big part of the legacy. And I think between that and now this remake, mm-hmm. they've they're like properly putting that Disney stamp on it. And it's like, no, the Lion King and everything about the Lion King is Disney, and we can't. There will never be like the Kimba stuff will never get mentioned again. Sort yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, and that's a shame, really, isn't it? Because it's like a bit of like a corporate blemish on the face of something that. It's so cherished from yeah. our youths. Yeah. But like I say, it, it doesn't take away from what it is, and it doesn't take away... Like, the songs are one of the biggest things, and that's mm-hmm. completely new. Like, do you know what I mean? Elton John wrote those songs, and they but are you, And there's bangers. so much of it that you love as well, because it is like... Like you say, like this groundbreaking animation. Um, oh, yeah. If you compare the animation, like the technical brilliance of the animation from Kimber to Lion King... There's no comparison. No. Like, although they're, like, thematically and, like, imagery-wise, they look kind of similar, there's no doubt that the Disney one looks better. Oh, yeah, the Disney one is far superior. Yeah. But at the same time, like, there is a point, you know, just a bit like, oh, that's a shame. Yeah. But, Um, yeah. And then, okay, I think we should get to it, finally. I don't want to talk about it. Shall we... Let's... Just I tell you what, what we can do because we're obviously going to do a remake, uh, the actual live action, live action remake of it. Let us what uh, I for the purpose of me and the readers at home, tell us what your concerns are. Uh, so just <laughs> just get it out, and then we can, and then we've got them recorded, <laughs> and then when we come back next week, we can go. How did you feel about this? Because basically, 
I'm of the I'm a, the, the the only mindset that I have about it is that I'm really interested to see it. I really want to know want to see how they can do it with this cast in this sort of photorealistic style. The Lion King is always going to have a special place for me, but the remake will be like the Beauty and the Beast remake. It's fine and it's good, but at the same time, the original is vastly superior. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm the same. I'm like, if if that's the case, then why do it? But like, yeah. and, and in money. Money's the answer. The money's the answer to all this. But, um, yeah, my concerns are basically, and the, my biggest one, and I've, you know, watching this one again, it's confirmed it to me, is that there's so much expression drawn into the faces of the lions and yeah. all the characters, and there's so much emotion, like, put into that, that I don't think they're going to be able to replicate in a photorealistic lion or a photorealistic mm. warthog or whatever because they have to be you can't make their eyes expand when they're scared you yeah. can't make them like you can't like the things that scar does and you just and there's so much they're so expressive mm-hmm. and you can't do that with live action animation so it's going to lose so much of that character that makes it what it is and like it's going to be this weird thing where they they look real and then they are just they, it's just their mouths move and no, none of the rest of their faces like emote or change I, and I, and it's to me it's just totally unnecessary mm-hmm. I just don't understand it other than the, to make money yeah which is frustrating it's a stupid reason to do it and it's just like why can't you just make something like there are certain ones where I get it like I feel like you could re- do a remake of Mulan and they yeah. are doing it and I think that is interesting mm-hmm. to me and the, even like stuff like Pocahontas some of the lesser ones the ones that we don't think of as well they're not as well thought of as the Lion King, if you were to do a remake now, and like if you did like Pocahontas and made it a little bit more, you know, made it more culturally sensitive, and made it more of a proper, you know, with Disney's you know left wing agenda that people sort of often hmm. moan about. If you did that now, but also had um, Colors of the Wind and all the rest of it, everyone would fucking love it. Yeah, do that. That's in need of a remake. Lion King isn't. Lion King does not need a remake. I don't know why they're doing it other than to make money, and that is just is really cynical. And corporate, and that yeah. takes away from the magic of it. And I've, yeah, it really it frustrates me. Um, I just feel like it's going to be kind of this sort of soulless corporate because money grabbing thing. I'll be honest, that's why I didn't go and see the Jungle Book. I know it's always the same. I haven't seen any of these. I haven't seen any of these live action remakes. I haven't seen. I've still haven't seen Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, like, but you say that, you know. Jungle Book came out in 2016, cost 177 million to make, made 966 million. Like, Beauty and the Beast just made more money than. Well, let's have a yeah. look. Beauty and the Beast. What, 2017, 18? Yeah. 2017 made. Good God. Okay, that was more expensive though. So that cost up to about two hundred and fifty million, made one point two six billion. Just so much. It's just an absolute cash cow for them to live action remake these films. Yeah, or but just photo realistic. Like, why? Do it's, so, so. It's, it's so frustrating because not only that, like some of the animation they're doing at the moment is really good. The last the run of animation they're on, Disney Studios, I'm talking about, not yeah. just Pixar, because not only do we have Pixar that they're running, we also have Disney Animation who are doing like. Wreck-It Ralph, um, Moana, mm-hmm. Frozen, Zootopia, they're on a really good run. Like, why not keep doing that? Why are you 
pouring like because they know, and the reason is money. Mm-hmm. They just know that it is a known property. They can make it cheap because all of this was done on a green screen. But there's no, there's nothing in the Lion King. There's nothing real no. there. The entire thing is done on a green screen with CGI characters. So to call it a live action remake is a bit of a joke because none mm. of it's live action. None of it's real. It's just a different form of animation. It's, just mm-hmm. a, it's a CGI animation as opposed to hand drawn animation. Yeah, and I just don't get it. Like even CGI animation, like you could do more with like a Pixar style. Like again, again, we keep talking about expressions, but like we talked about it on Toy Story. There's so much expression and emotion going on in Woody and Buzz's faces. Yeah, like think about that moment in Toy Story three where they hold each other's hands. Yeah. And there's so much going on just in their faces. You can't draw that and get that emotion out of a photorealistic lion. You just can't. No. It can't be done. Not unless you alter it so much that it's not photorealistic anymore. That's that's one of the things that I want to see. I'm really curious to see how it goes because there are points where you see like small bits of character animation and you're like, okay, that seems to be working okay. Like There's the bit where you see... Um, like Timon and Pumbaa and Simba singing. Yeah. And you're like, okay. But then there aren't, that's not really an expressive moment because that's just them all bobbing through the jungle having a yeah. little sing song. Um, but it will be really interesting to see stuff like, like what happens to Mufasa. You're like, I can't imagine it being sad. Like the, the moment that we didn't really talk about, but the moment when Mufasa dies is like one of the most mm. heartbreaking moments in cinema. And it like brings tears to so many, but you know, mm-hmm. But part of that is because of the way the the little the lion Simba is drawn, and the yeah. way he gets upset, and he starts tears start coming into his eyes, and yeah. he start and he's really like looking around, like trying desperately to find something. And I don't know how you're going to be able to get that out of a jungle. yeah. So well, like, a I lot do, of it will I be do the get voice. what you mean, but it's the, at the same time, it's it's like there was that recent study, wasn't there, about saying that. There are scientists that believe that dogs have evolved. Dogs have evolved in a certain way to get to have sad eyes, Mm. because it encourages humans to be more attached to them. So the ways that the dogs have learned to express themselves in certain ways that cats can do so. Domesticated animals have sort of different, less of an anthropomorphic sort of side of sort of emoting, but it still develops that rapport with someone just the way that a cat can look at somebody that you project that human emotion onto them and the way that a dog would look at somebody or the way that a dog would react there tends to be a stronger reaction to it especially people that sort of like have an empathy towards pets yeah so i think it'll be tricky to see it in stuff like uh like pumba for example who's a pig because he's not as well he's a warthog um he's not as sort of cuddly or sort of domesticated as yeah. the other animals could could be. But um that's kind of why I'm like that's kind of why I want to see it. Yeah. And it's it's like I get it. It's a completely like economically driven decision for these films to be made. But at the same time there's a part of me that's like there's a lot of like kids nowadays that just don't like animation like that because they just see it as old. I can't, I, I, and it's it's and it's it's blowing my mind because I was talking to people about it, and they're like, "Yeah, my kids don't like that stuff because they just think it's really old." When they're watching stuff like Frozen, and when they're watching stuff like Toy Story Four, like we were talking about it to our friends, we were saying like the difference between Toy Story and Toy Story Four. You see Andy in Toy Story, and you're like, "Jesus, what the fuck is that?" <laughs> yeah, and the and Spike, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. 
And it's like, so imagine having that as like, so it's like going back and looking at like the really lumpy animation that you'll see in um, like Transformers G1 cartoons. Yeah, but I don't... And then you see the Transformers film and you're like, geez, look at that. I don't, I I just can't imagine like maybe this, like, I can't imagine a kid today having issues with The Lion King though, specifically. I feel like... Like I can see what you mean from clunky animation. Like if you would show them like a cartoon from the nineties, like mm-hmm. stuff like the, like you know, the Batman TV show that was on at the time, or the Spider Man one, mm-hmm. I could see them bumping against that because that is very clunky and dated. But if you showed them the Lion King, yeah, I feel like it stands up. Like you just shouldn't yeah. have to. They go, oh, this is old. Put the new one on. And like if well, I do. But that's the that thing. That kid like, get thrown out the fucking window. Yeah. If it was my kid, I'd tell you that now. <laughs> At the same time, like, I, that's one of the reasons that if... I'd hate to think that there's going to be kids who think this is the Lion King. Yeah. Not the the, the real Lion King yeah. from 94, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing. That's that's always that's always going to be, the, you know, hashtag not my Lion yeah. King. But one of the things that I have actively avoided is that in the past... Like, you meet people, and, like, to put it into my perspective, when I was single, I would meet people, and I would be like, I'm really into films, and I really like this, and I really like this. And they'd be like, oh, I've never seen X. And they'd be like, oh, I've never seen Star Wars. Yeah. And you're like, okay, like, my girlfriend, she's never seen Star Wars. Am I willing to sit down and watch it with her? If she wants to see it, yeah, but I'm not going to put it on and be like, you need to watch this, because this... Is a cinematic masterpiece because you go back and look at it and you're like, some of that's clunky as fuck. Yeah. But I love that thing probably more than anything else in cinema. It's like the original Star Wars. And, but I know that if you haven't grown up with it and you haven't seen it at a formative time, yeah. it's gonna look like dog shit. I just don't, I can't imagine that. But I, Lion, I'm I the same. Lion I, King can ever look like dog shit. I no. don't think it could ever. Like, do you know what I mean? the fact that it still stands up now, and it, like, like you say, even looking at Aladdin, some of that does mm-hmm. look clunky, but I don't think Lion King does. But for example, like last night, we went to see The Matrix. Yeah. Think about how groundbreaking that was at the time. Yeah. That was a genre defining film. Yeah. And you watch it, and we were watching it last night, and you go, oh. I know. <laughs> but, that, but, that's... but at the same time, but that's what I mean. It's like, because it is this touch point in your life and touch point in your memory. That it's it's really really hard. It's like I had the same exact thing when um, the prequels came around, yeah. and I had the same exact thing when episode. You will remember how anti episode seven I was. Yeah, yeah, true. But I don't know. I think it's different when it's live. At, like I don't know. That's part of the thing with Lion King is that because it's animation and it's that yeah. far removed, it doesn't date in the same way. And because of the way it was done. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it has dated. Like going back and watching it this week, it doesn't seem. It hasn't. Not in my mind. But I'd, like I say, it'll be interesting to see what kids think of it. I'd lo- I would. I don't. Really, I don't want to live in a world where kids find the old Lion King mm-hmm. old. Do you know what I mean? The original. I don't want to be able to show that to you know my cousin's kids or you know where or my god kids or whatever, and then be bored by it. Yeah. Because it looks old. Like, but I just can't imagine that. Mm-hmm. Put it this way. So you were born in... 91. 91. So Lion King came out in 94. So say somebody that was born in 2000 mm. would be 19 now. 
right? Yeah. Five, six years before they were born, this Lion King film came out. Yeah. Everybody talks about it's amazing. What film came out six years before you were born that people constantly talk about that you just you're just like oh, I can't be fucked with that, and that you'll look at now and you'll be like that's a bit clunky. Yeah, but I don't know. Ghostbusters, like... Goonies. Again, though, they're not they're not animated. But no, but that's what I'm saying is that like a lot of these things, like some of the stuff in Ghostbusters, you look at and you're like, I don't know. Actually, Ghostbusters is a pretty bad example because that's a fucking yeah. I love eighties movies. We talk, but that's the thing. Like a lot of these things that you people will look at and they'll be like, oh, that's fucking silly. But that's what I mean. It's like it's it's a different. I do get what you mean. I really do. But from sort of an advocate perspective and trying to give the readers a voice who might disagree with us. But at the same time, like. I'm the same. Like I'll go and see it because I'm really interested, and I'm quite actually looking forward to it because I want to know what Donald Glover, Beyonce, Chihuahua. It's a great cast. Oh. When, they, when they announce that cast, I'm like, yeah, I'm totally yeah. down for that. But like, because uh, having like Billy Eichner, for example, as Timon, it's fucking inspired casting. Yeah. Okay, there's one. Then I remember that being actually, yeah, I fucking love um, Basil the Great Mouse Detective. Yeah, I love that film. That came out five five years before I was born. Mm-hmm. I, I had that on VHS. That was a great. That was a really underrated little Disney film. That I love that film. Yeah, good one. I, I have it as well. And the fo- the Fox and the Hound, nineteen eighty one. Again, that was a classic Disney for me when I was a kid. That came out ten years before I was born. Yep. Oliver and Company. I remember seeing that. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Is that a lot of people now? Rescuers down under. That was 91. I love, no, that was 90. Yeah, but a lot a of people before. now, you've got to remember that these are things that you grew up with being hand-drawn animation. Yeah. Like, you take a generation before that, when you look at... When, like, Thunderbirds and, you know, yeah. Captain Scarlet and stuff like that was just mind-blowing. Because you're like, what the fuck? Like, they've got these spaceships and they've got these aliens and they've got submarines and lasers and rockets and amazing this is amazing and they're all real it's like a bon jovi concert yeah <laughs> but then then you're like and then something like transformers the cartoon comes along and you're like wow that's all a bit silly those puppets now aren't they yeah but it's it is finding these sort of multi-generational sort of divides like beauty and the beast is fine am i gonna watch it again probably not am i gonna maybe if uh, what maybe it'll be the same with the lion king but yeah, it's. I think that's there's there's a hopeful part of me. There's like an optimistic nugget inside this husk of a cynic. That's like, oh, they're doing it for the they're doing it for the kids. They're doing it because they need to see something that's that works for them. Well, I just, yeah, I I hate that idea that the the one that currently exists doesn't work for them. Yeah, but I know, I know what you mean. It probably it might yeah. it might not. But yeah. I hate that idea, and it makes me sad. Yeah. Same. Like, I'm exactly the same. And it does make me really, really sad. And it's it's one of those things where you're like, oh, weep for the generation after me. But at the same time, I kind of get it. But, um, you know, if it wasn't for prequels, sequels, remakes and reboots, we wouldn't be doing this podcast. True. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, yeah, exactly. This is the, the biggest remake that's definitely going to happen this year, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. And I think for a generation, oh yeah, widely spread. Well, Unless it's interesting they... to see how it's how it's doing though, because I don't know, like Dumbo didn't do very well. No, I don't think Aladdin did as well as they wanted it to. 
No, let's have a look at the box office for him. Because that's the thing, we're in July now, so we're, we're just over halfway through the year, and we've had three of these Yeah, in a year. In half a year, sorry. It's fucking mad how quickly they're just churning these out. And there's going to be there's more next year. So they're doing Milan. I think they're doing Lady and the Tramp. Uh, mm, but they're okay. doing it. They're doing it on Disney Plus. How the fuck are they going to do that? Because <laughs> again, they're animals. Like you can't draw. If you're doing it live action again, again live action in inverted commas because yeah, it's just CGI. Aladdin. Yeah, 183 million to make. Yeah, 929 million at the box office is made. Really. Fucking hell. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's it then, isn't it? It's printing money. It's printing money. And it's still out of the cinema. I could yeah. go and see it tonight if I wanted to. I'm not. I'm going to go and see The Dead will Never... Ne- dead May Never Die. But... Are you? Yeah. Oh, shit. Um, but yeah, it's... Like you say, it's a licence to print money. And it, may, it might even be a licensing thing, but I doubt it because Disney, they've got more money than anything. But then again, are we? This is maybe an editorial issue that we can do one day. Um, is Disney just watering down cinema? Yeah, because we know what we're getting with them constantly. Yeah. Anyway, anyway I think that pretty much does it for you. <laughs> um, We've so got yeah. a lot of editing to do on this one. Yeah, sorry, it'll be fine. Um, so yeah, that pretty much does it for Lion King. Um, thanks for listening guys we'll be back next week to talk about the remake and what we thought of it we've told you where we stand on it at the moment yeah um, and we'll get into it in more depth next week I'm sure yeah um, so in the meantime let us know what you think about the whole Disney situation and the live action remakes and that where you stand on that yeah. whole debate um, and yeah you can. which com- ones would you like to see yeah what's what's worth it what isn't worth it I know what I think I basically think anything with with a person in it yeah, kind of makes sense. Anything outside of that, maybe yeah. not. Um, Do you want to see a live-action Toy Story with a tiny little Tom Hanks? No, I think they should go back the other way and do a hand-drawn <laughs> Toy Story. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think. We're on uh, Twitter at the Oncast. We're on Facebook, the Oncast Pod. Um, we're on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, we're everywhere you can find us. And if you want to email us, we're at theoncastpod at gmail dot com. Yep. Um, so let us know what you think. Um, and that's pretty much it, really. Yeah. We'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Um. Fucking hell. Didn't work, did it? Jesus. Jesus.